Welcome to Career Tools. This week, the resume update 2018. The questions this cast answers are, what's changed in our guidance about resumes? Are cover letters needed? And how has applying for a job changed in 2018? Our resume guidance never ever changes. One page focused on responsibilities and accomplishments, what you've done and how well you did it. And that said, every year we produce an update and we talk about some of the more timely issues around resumes. So some of the changes we're seeing, some of the things that people are suggesting are changing, which often are not. Every year it seems that somebody says, this is the year that resumes die. And they never do. They haven't yet. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I think this is the fifth or sixth year we've done this. They haven't changed. So this year we're going to talk about cover letters, which is another perennial cover letters are going to die. Uh, background checks, LinkedIn, and the market heating up. So our outline for today's cast is consider changing jobs, send a cover letter, and talk about background checks. Don't include LinkedIn on your resume and check your resume for errors. A good list. Before we start, if you're listening to this because you have been doing your resume and you haven't got an interview, so if you've been submitting resumes but you haven't got interviews, go to the website and look for the resume workbook that will help you get your resume right so that you start getting interviews. And if you're getting interviews but you're not getting offers, then look for the interview series. It's loads of help. I got an email just this week of someone saying, I bought the interview series, I got the job. So it really does work. A lot of people get stuck in those two areas, which is why we have products to help you. Now we'll go on with the rest of our outline. So consider changing jobs. In May 2018, which is when we, actually it's June 2018, uh, but May 2018 when we actually got a number, the unemployment rate in the US is at a 17-year low. And similar statistics are seen across the world. If the US and Europe are doing well in general, all of the countries are doing well. It's a kind of global thing and everybody's doing pretty well. Jobs are continuing to be added to the economy. And even where wages have been static for a, a lot of years, like 10 or 15 years, they are now increasing. And the one thing you can tell from increasing wages is that labour is more scarce. So it's a classic supply and demand when there's lots of people who want a job, so unemployment is high, wages either go down or they stay static. When wages start rising, that means that companies can't find the people they want at the current price, and therefore they have to put their price up in order to attract people, or even to keep the people they have. When the number of available workers is low, wages go up as competition for those people increases. And that's what we're seeing. Now, that said, the quoted unemployment and labor participation statistics are generalized across the entire economy. That doesn't mean that necessarily in your specific geographic area, your industry, your, your specific professional specialty that you are seeing all of those changes yourself. An example, Hawaii's unemployment rate in April 2018 was 2%, whereas Alaska's was 7.3%. So unemployment data 
is always way more complicated than that headline rate, than that overall statistics. That said, the overall general picture of the labor market right now is very good. Very good for candidates, not so for companies, I guess. Yes, so good if, point. If you've been thinking about moving to a new role, a new company, a new geographic area, now would be a good time to do so because with more jobs overall and a lower unemployment rate, there's less competition per job. When the economy was in recession, you saw things like 500 people apply for one job or 700 people apply for one job. Sure that that's not true, but anyway, when the unemployment is low, and so there are less people looking for jobs, companies can have maybe 10 applicants. And, you know, <laughs> having worked in recruitment, if you get 10 applicants, only seven of them are marginally qualified. There is a lot less competition for the jobs. We're not guaranteeing you a new job. It's not like, oh, you don't have to do any work and you can walk out of your job and into a new one with a pay rise. That's not how it works. You still have to work for it. They're not just free for the taking. No, exactly. But it's easier now than it maybe would have been in the last 17 years. Absolutely. And considering our market where it is right now, and yes, it's great market for candidates, that does not mean that we're suggesting that you want to change jobs or look for new positions if you're happy where you are. If you're happy where you are and you don't want the change, then don't. What we're suggesting is... If you've been thinking about it, if you've already got those rumblings that, that you'd like to try something new, then now would be a good time to start looking um, at your network, about activating that, reaching out to people, looking for those new opportunities, because now, in comparison to the last 17 years, is a great time to be looking for those opportunities. Exactly. So next up, cover letters are not dead. <laughs> what is it? Reports of my demise are premature. This is a quote from someone. I can't think who it is. So people keep saying cover letters are dead. They're not. Uh, the vast majority of companies do now use some kind of computer-based resume or application submission system. So what happens when there's a new technology, all of the big companies start using it, and then it trickles down. What happens when there's a new technology is the big companies implement it first, and applicant tracking systems have been around for 20 years probably. And what happens is people find cheaper ways to implement that technology, and as it becomes cheaper, obviously more and more companies can afford it, and therefore it trickles down. It's probably only the smallest companies who don't have some kind of applicant system. And that usually for you as a candidate means entering some form data into a web page and attaching a resume. And because it doesn't say submit a cover letter, many, many articles say cover letters are dead. In fact, there was a New York Post article that said a survey from Office Team found that one in 10 senior managers said that cover letters were not valuable at all when evaluating a candidate. And only one in five said they were very valuable. But let's do the math here, right? One in 10 said that they were not valuable, but one in five said they were. That's two in 10. <laughs> they changed the denominator to make the math look like cover letters aren't useful. But actually, out of 10 people, one person said they were not useful, two said they were very useful, the other seven 
must have said something between not useful at all and very useful. No one said they were detrimental. And no that's one true. said, because there's a cover letter, we will not hire this person. Exactly. So that's why you have to be careful with articles that say such and such is dead, because they changed the math halfway through to, to make their point, which is the sensational point cover letters are, are dead. They're not. Exactly. Now, cover letters, what they're designed for is to help out the hiring manager to understand how your experience would fit that particular hiring manager or that organization's needs, whatever it may be. It tells them where to look on your resume for the most relevant information for that specific uh, role, for that specific individual. And it introduces you. It turns you into a human being that's interested in the role, not just another robot who has submitted a resume on a website. You're not just a number. You are a person. So whether the New York Post or anybody else tells you that cover letters are dead, our guidance is submit them anyway. They are not detrimental. And actually, if you look at the data, they are beneficial for many hiring managers. So it is worth the extra effort. And the worst that can happen is nobody reads it. Like you just said, it's not like they say, oh, this person submitted a cover letter. I'm not going to hire them or not going to interview them. That's never happened. So the best thing is that the hiring manager will read your cover letter and be moved to invite you for a phone screen or an interview. Why would you sacrifice that amazing upside that you're invited for an interview for the downside that you did some work and somebody didn't read it? It makes no sense not to send a cover letter. None. The next part we're going to talk about is background checks. Ooh. From employment history at previous companies to extensive investigative reports seem to be becoming more common at the ease of carrying out the check increases. Now, companies would seem to be saying, well, if I could do a background check on a potential employee for under like $100, why wouldn't I? And from the company's perspective, that absolutely makes sense. It's an affordable way to weed out some potentially um, detrimental candidates, candidates that they're not looking for. And in the US, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission has rules around how background checks are applied. And most countries where background checks are possible also have rules around how they can be used. And some states do, uh, states have some more restrictive things that apply too. So this is what the EEOC says. Anytime you use an applicant's or employee's background information to make an employment decision, regardless of how you got that information, you must comply with federal laws that protect applicants and employees from discrimination. That includes discrimination based on race, colour, national origin, sex or religion, disability, genetic information and age. Put more simply, a background check must be carried out for all applicants and the use of that information must be uniform. In other words, if a company is doing background checks, it has to do it for all candidates. If you have a job and you have 10 applicants and two of them are 20-year-old men who are unmarried, you can't do a background check on them and not on the other eight people. You have to do it uniformly and you have to then not use that discriminatively. So if you find out that of your 10 candidates, 
two of them are over 40, and then you discard them because they're over 40, that's using that information discriminately, and you're not allowed to do that. Now, one, <laughs> we're not going to say that all companies obey the law because they don't. We just want to help you understand what it says. And two, companies can find all sorts of reasons for saying that a candidate is not suitable, even if their core meaning is a discriminatory. In other words, if you present 10 candidates and those two were over 40 and you are a discriminative hiring manager who doesn't like older candidates, you can find another reason for not hiring that person. They don't have the right experience. They're not available the right hours. They uh, don't have cultural fit. There's all sorts of woolly stuff that you can use instead. So we're not saying here that just because the EEOC says it can't be used discriminately, discriminatively, that it won't be. But the law is there to help you, especially around background checks where there's a lot of information that companies find out about you. And I'm quoting the US law here, but it is similar in other countries. Yes, it absolutely is. Now, considering that information, that employers oftentimes pull these background checks, it may potentially be causing candidates anxiety due to just the sheer quantity of data breaches and identity theft that is occurring in our society. Because of that, candidates can be afraid that background checks are going to bring up adverse information that's just plain incorrect. They got tagged to their file in error, but it's not something that actually has happened. One common problem in rental accommodations is that deficits in previous occupants are applied to the current occupant. That is, if an individual lived in my apartment building prior to me, but defaulted on rent or had previous debts that were unpaid, because I have taken over that rental agreement, that is, I now live in this suite, that error in um, paying the rental can be applied to me incorrectly because I shared the same apartment as someone who did not pay their rent. It's almost as if you're there together, even though that person actually left. <laughs> Yes, exactly. It's like the debt is tied to the location where I live as opposed to the human being in air. And they tied by the same brush. But there is a really easy way, way around this. And actually, people have written to us and said, this is what I'm worried about. And there's an easy way to around this. Talk about it. The companies that keep records about us are obliged to share those records with us. There are many services that will give you a monthly update summarizing what the different companies hold about you. There's companies that will send you your financial stuff. There's companies that which will send you these are the addresses that are being connected with you. There's companies that will send you these are the people that are being connected with you. So all of that information is available to you. You just have to go and ask for it and occasionally you have to pay. But it's usually a nominal amount because the com the government doesn't want these companies to hold information. So use those services. And then if there's a problem that you think will come up in a background check, tell the company you're interviewing with before they do the check. So if I know that for some reason the person before me in this apartment didn't pay their rent, 
and accidentally that mispayment, that that non-payment has been applied to me, then I can say to the company, by the way, I know you're going to do a background check. I just want to tell you, I already know that I've been tagged as not paying my rent because of this mistake. And this is what I'm doing to fix it with the company that's holding that information. It is a proactive approach to making sure that anything they find, they understand in a way that's what is to be understood, right? Because they can look at it and go, oh, you haven't paid your rent. (laughs) And they can draw conclusions about that. But what they're doing is drawing the wrong conclusions because it's not your debt. And so what you're making sure is when they see it, they know which conclusions to draw because you've already told them. That's absolutely true. If you put it out there for them to question you about something on that report, it will not happen. Mm -hmm. You have to be the one to come out and say it honestly because they're not going to come to you and say, oh, so tell me about this thing where you didn't pay rent. They're just going to use that information to potentially disqualify. Right. They're just going to tell you, by the way, you didn't get the job. And they're not going to tell you why. So defend yourself before it comes up. Right. It would sound something like this. So thank you for letting me know you're going to do a background check. I appreciate that. For your information, you may see an unpaid rent issue on my apartment. It was a previous tenant and I am working on getting it expunged from my record. And I will be happy to provide you with the correspondence I've had with Experian to prove it or to show you. And you know what? Most people won't ask you for it (laughs) because barely anybody ever says proactively, by the way, you're going to see a problem and I'm already trying to fix it. They're going to be so impressed with that that they won't want to see the proof. Exactly. They may not even pull a background check at that point because they know the information. So absolutely. The next thing we have to talk about is don't include LinkedIn on your resume. Now, before we cover this topic, let's just be clear here that we love LinkedIn We are not at all saying don't use LinkedIn. It's become the de facto standard for your professional self on the web. It's a great tool for tracking your accomplishments, tracking your previous roles, for building relationships, keeping in touch with your network. So we're not saying don't use it. Yes, absolutely use it. That said, we've seen a trend to individuals including the link to their LinkedIn profile on their resume. And that's usually in the admin section around name, address, email, phone number, link to LinkedIn profile, things like that. There's three problems with this. First, resumes are nearly always printed to be read, which means the link doesn't work. You can't click it. (laughs) You can't click it when it's on paper. And so you're wasting space having it on your resume. And your resume is one page, remember. You don't have a lot of space. Why waste it? Next up, your resume is hopefully tailored to the job that the hiring manager wants to fill. So one of the things you do when you create your resume for a particular job is you move your accomplishments around so that the ones that come first are the ones that are most relevant to the job you want. If I was going for a job where I needed to have done customer service. I would move my bullet about how good I am at customer service to the top. So it came right under the responsibilities for this role. So that the first thing the hiring manager saw is she's done customer service. That's what they're looking for. Put it in front of their face. Exactly. So tailoring your your resume is a really good thing. The thing about your LinkedIn profile is it's not tailored. 
It might even be the same information, but it's not even put in the right order for the hiring manager. If the hiring manager looks at the resume and thinks, oh, a LinkedIn profile, I'll look at that. They're not getting the information that you carefully prepared to show your experience fits their needs. So why waste that time and effort? Right? If you're gonna if you're gonna tailor your resume, which you should, then make sure they see the bit that's tailored. That's absolutely true. And the last part is we have no control over how LinkedIn uses our information. No one knows. Overnight, LinkedIn could make a total website change and change the entire way your profile is laid out. They could change the information that's in it, maybe hiding some of it so it's not all available to everybody. They could take your profile down altogether. And if someone that you're, say you prepare your resume, you give it to somebody in February, but they don't get a chance to look at your website for a few weeks, a month, who knows? Your profile could look completely different. You have no way of verifying that that link that you put on your resume as your LinkedIn profile will look that exact same way when that hiring manager goes to look at it. So what you're doing by putting that link on there is you're completely relinquishing control (laughs) to LinkedIn of how that employer perceives you or sees you. And besides yourself, there is no one entity that ought to have that much control over how you're coming across to other organizations as yourself. So if you want them to see specific information, you need to provide it. Passing on that link to your LinkedIn profile isn't necessarily beneficial. The last person I told that was like, (gasps) it's okay. It is okay to have a LinkedIn profile. Just don't put the link on your resume. That's it. Absolutely. And lots of employers and hiring managers might look at LinkedIn anyway for you. You don't need to give it to them. If they look at it, they do. If they don't, they don't. So last up, check your resume for errors, which seems like it should be a timeless thing. It should be on the resume. And I think it is pretty sure it's on the resume, the original resume cast. (laughs) What happens is, so your resume is a reflection of your best professional self. Your resume is the best work you can do. Why would you be giving someone else who you want to give you a job something that was substandard? You wouldn't. This is my best self. That's what you're saying. And yet we see resumes weekly with errors in them. So I probably get two resumes a week, maybe three. And they range from first time manager to senior VPs and CEOs. And they're all the way across in all different industries because that's who listens to manager tools, everybody. And it's amazing how many people are being paid over $100,000 a year and can't spell, punctuate, have missing words in a sentence. They have incorrect grammar. They have inconsistent punctuation. They have font that's not the same throughout the document. That's a really weird one. Line spacing that's not consistent through the document. Like you're reading and you're like, oh, that's a nice space. That's an, oh, these two are scrunched together and there's no reason why. And the changes in format from one job to another and a million other problems. Most of the time when I'm helping people with their resumes, it's the all the nitpicky things that I end up helping them with. You know, like you're missing a period or there's two spaces here where there should be one or these two lines are not spaced or the same way as a resume. You wouldn't you would think it was like, oh, it's big strategic directional 
how to present myself things. It's not. It's all the nitty gritty stuff. Those tiny little details that we would, for the most part, consider simple. Mm -hmm. And this isn't a case of the people that prepare and send resumes to Wendy are being lazy or not paying attention. That's not it at all. What this is, is a case of you can't see the forest for the trees. Mm -hmm. When you're working on your resume a lot, like any other document, if you are staring at those words over and over and over, you cannot see those errors. They blend in. You have read that same document or looked at that same resume so many times that you can't see those tiny little errors to it. It becomes almost blank to you. Mm -hmm, it does. So here's what you're going to do. Give your resume to another person, a friend or a family member, somebody else with a clean set of eyes who hasn't been staring at that sheet for hours on end and ask them to look for errors. You want to tell them specifically, I don't want advice about the content. I don't want advice about what I've included or not included on the resume. Specifically, I want you to look for parts that have errors or inconsistencies or don't make sense grammatically. If you don't tell them to specifically look for those things, they're going to give you overall advice on your resume content. And that's not what you're looking at. You at this point have put all of your time and effort into the content. You know the content is sound. So what you want to know about is those small errors. Now, if you know somebody whose disk assessment is a high C or a high S, these people are ideal to give you a resume to. They're most likely to see mistakes. They're very detail-oriented. They're going to pay attention to those tiny little details and take the time to help you get it perfect. They will notice your missing periods or your too many spaces here and there. Um, so you would like to pass it on to them and they can absolutely help you. Those are the best people to check your resume for you. And if you don't have one of those, it doesn't matter. You know, anybody who isn't you, who hasn't been staring at it will help. But if you know an S or a C, ask them. The S will be thrilled to be asked. In summary, resumes aren't going away, despite what you read. They may not be the best way to convey what we want to say to an employer, but all the other ways are worse. Yes, exactly. You know, video resumes, horrible idea. The most important things on your resume aren't going to change. The most important things are what you've done and how well you've done it, and that is never going to change. And if you can show what you've done and how well you did it clearly and concisely, your resume will do its job which is to get you an interview. Resumes do not get you a job. Resumes get you interviews. Then good interviewing gets you an offer and that offer gets you a job. So don't put all the work onto a resume, which people often do. It only it's has not to your get, only tool. Right. It only has to get you the interview and then you have to do the work on your interview skills to get the offer. But resumes aren't going away. And we have tons of advice uh, on the website about resumes go to the website and type resumes into the search there'll be a load we have the interviewing series if you need to work on your interview skills if you're submitting resumes getting interviews but not getting offers look at the interview series if you're submitting resumes but not getting interviews look at the resume workbook also on the website thanks sarah thank you wendy bye everyone So for this week, we'll be back next week with more guidance.